everybody. How are you? It's the daytime show. Uh, our temporary run at trying to do a program during the daytime and see what happens. Uh, so let's see what happens. Um, this is a program in which you give us a call and then we uh, we talk to you. Uh, simple as that. In fact, let me turn the phones on here. They're not really phones. Uh, we use a thing called Skype. Uh, which you can find out about it by going to Skype.com. They'll tell you how to download it, and then you go install it. Very simple. and Answer four questions, and you're good to go. We have what's called a Skype address, and that Skype address is GabNet Live. G-A-B-N-E-T-L-I-V-E. GabNet Live. Okay? Sound cool to you? All right. The lines are open if you want to talk to me this, uh, this morning, uh, this afternoon. Well, morning where you are, perhaps, if you're out on the West Coast. Um, and we will do this uh, for uh, at least an hour. Uh, well, that's it's supposed to be an hour, but if nobody calls or nobody looks like they're listening, we may just go 15 minutes. So, you know, we need your participation to make this thing uh, a rousing success. Um, so, uh, anyway, our number here, oh, also, I forgot to tell you, if you want to call us, if you really want to call us, uh, and just use your telephone, you can do that too. You can call 347-352-0079. In case you've never heard this little thing that we do here, it's very simple. It's called citizen panels. In other words, it's not just me and one other caller like on most talk shows. It's me and anywhere's up to nine other callers at the same time. And it's just like a bunch of people sitting around in their uh, in their uh, uh, living room bullshitting. That's really what it, what it uh, boils down to. So uh, uh, if we need, but we need those calls. Uh, that's very important. Let me see. Let me make sure. Yes, we are up and running. Okay, so we'll just wait for people to call. So, did anybody, uh, any of you watch uh, uh, the faux Mary Martin last night? Uh, did anybody watch uh, uh, Peter Pan? Uh, I did. I mean, only so I could sit here and tell you how absolutely amazingly abysmal it was. Um, you know, the press is being rather generous when they go, well, it wasn't bad. Um, you know, sometimes we we relish bad. Sometimes bad is a good thing. Why? Because bad is something we can sit here and just have fun trashing. And bad also makes for good entertainment. I mean, how many movies became major successes, you know, these like midnight movies, because they were bad, not because they were good, because they were so campy. I mean, I think one of the uh, best movies ever made was Beyond the Valley of the Dolls by Russ Meyer. And I said to Russ once, I said, it is either one of the best movies ever made or one of the worst. And he said, it's a little of both. And, you know, I can go back time and time again and watch Beyond the Valley of the Dolls and get nothing but a great deal of pleasure out of watching it. Not not because of the sex in it or anything like that. It was made by a major movie company, 20th Century Fox, who, who thought he was actually going to make a sequel to be the Valley of the Dolls. <laughs> this was anything but. And he had a sense of humor and a sense of camp, and you just relished watching it. So... Fine is not good. Fine is okay. Nobody really screwed up much. 
Uh, Allison Williams had a nice voice, uh, a little thin, but but nice, uh, adequate. Uh, she flew through the air, and she mi- 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 hit her marks. She seemed to remember most of her lines, which I understand is something that uh, Chris, uh, that uh, uh, Christopher Walken didn't, uh, playing Captain Hook. And uh, you know, but fine isn't enough. Fine, it was it was the most boring three hours you could possibly imagine. And it was a hodgepodge of stuff, you know? It wasn't like they were trying to do any linear plot line. They were just trying to get a bunch of songs in, some of them new songs. The original Mary Martin, 1960, without commercials, times in at uh, one hour and 40 minutes. That means that with commercials, it timed in at, at two hours. Uh, the one last night timed in with commercials at three hours. They should have tried to go for the two hours, okay? They should have, or or at least two and a half hours. Um, But not, the three hours was ridiculous. It was ridiculous on so many levels. Number one, the main appeal of Peter Pan isn't going to be to an adult audience. It's going to be to a family audience and children, all right? Well, if you've got a show going on on a school night that goes until 11 o'clock at night, who are you going for? You know, this really should have been run on a weekend. I don't know why they ran it on a Thursday. I would have run it on a Sunday night. I would have run it on a on a Saturday night. Some night where kids could stay up late is kind of a treat and watch the thing. But no, they put it on Thursday night. What was that about? Um. Last year they did The Sound of Music, and the ratings for this were half of what The Sound of Music was. Sound of Music uh, got double the numbers that this one did. And this one lost almost 40% of its audience over the three-hour period. In other words, from where it started out to where it wound up, lost about 40% of its audience. So I think the general takeaway from that is, man, was that boring. Boy, was that dull. Uh... You know, so um, uh, for instance, I uh, I went back. I I went back. And I looked at the Mary Martin again. Uh, I have a copy of the Mary Martin, and um, it was a favorite musical of mine when I was a kid. And uh, you know, it still holds up. Actually, uh, it's not the greatest musical of all time. Somebody said it's really a badly written uh, musical because. Rather than open up with a big production number, they open up with a lullaby. And uh, that's not how you open up a, a big show. But, you know, uh, it was it was successful on Broadway, although it only did 152 performances, I believe. And not they didn't close it down because it wasn't doing well. In fact, it was doing very well, and they didn't want to close it down. But they had a deal with NBC that when it finally aired on NBC, they would not be on Broadway any longer. That was the deal. So uh, back in 1955, when they ran the first one, uh, the minute that the NBC one went on the air, the Broadway version closed. Uh, but it was very, a very successful show. Anything Mary Martin did was successful because she was a Broadway darling. Uh, Mary Martin 
was one of those people, yeah, she was in movies. You can find a lot of movies with Mary Martin in them. But they weren't big movies. Nobody really remembers the Mary Martin movies. But they do remember Mary Martin in Peter Pan, Sound of Music, uh, and uh, South Pacific. These were just a couple of the shows that she did for Rogers and Hammerstein and then also did this uh, Peter Pan for her own, oddly enough, her own production company. Her husband, uh, Richard Halliday, produced it. Um, and she was, you know, she was a Broadway baby, okay? I mean, this is the kind of woman got on stage and literally knocked your socks off. And did a did a reviewer performance of anything she did when she took the stage, her stage presence was there, you know. And so when you watch Mary Martin doing, there are two things you you see when you watch Mary Martin doing. Well, three things actually you see when you see Mary Martin doing uh, Peter Pan. Number one, she has the she takes on the persona of exactly what Peter Pan is, a boy. Uh, Allison Williams didn't play Peter Pan as a boy. She played Peter Pan as a maybe 18, 19-year-old guy. And it, it just didn't work. It, it's supposed to be played as a boy. And I know that it kind of feels a little corny if you're if you're an Allison Williams who's looking to meet, meet, be a big deal in show business to get on stage and go, hey, kids, why didn't you come with me? and act like a little boy. But Mary Martin had no fear that way, and that's exactly what she did, and that's exactly why the part worked. And you knew this was like a 40-plus-year-old woman in a, in a green suit playing a boy. But she was playing a boy. She wasn't playing a man. And um, I don't know who Allison Williams felt she was playing last night, but that certainly wasn't Peter Pan. Um, it was uh, Allison Williams in a green suit. Then the other thing that that uh, about uh, that I noticed in watching the um, Mary Martin version was that the flying stuff she did was so much better because Allison Williams just would fly and then hit a posture and somehow Mary Martin looked like she was flying. I mean, she used that rig. Uh, amazingly swinging back and forth and in and out and around and she then she would she would go up and uh, stand up on part of the set and uh, high up and uh, then she would come back down again but she did it with with a flare and it, it was a kind of flare that one can only get from be, being theatrical and having theater experience Allison Williams had none of that hers was I go like I'm going up and then they will lift me up and then I will fly this way, and then I will fly that way. And she would take a, there was this position she would get into. It just wasn't as good a flying as, uh, as, as Mary Martin. And, and the wonderful thing about that show and the rigging for flying was we all knew there was a wire there. You saw the wire. You saw him last night, too. But it was the ability of what they were doing with that rig and especially back in the 50s when it hadn't been done before, that was just, it was the highlight of the show, oddly enough, and I think it won a Tony for, like, best uh, uh, um, something. Uh, I don't know what, what, it was the first time that had ever been done, that kind of rigging 
uh, for uh, a show that complex too, where you would have like four kids and Peter Pan uh, all flying at the same time. Uh, and it was just, it was a wonderful, marvelous show. Uh, and, and the performance with uh, Mary Martin, I said there were three things that Mary Martin did. Oh, yeah, Mary Martin also had a great singing voice. And her interpretation of a lyric, she sings Neverland. It still brings tears to my eyes. Uh, actually, I, I kind of got welled up a little bit last night hearing Allison Williams sing it because I think virtually anybody singing that song would make me kind of get misty. And, and I think the reason for that is is that I associate it with my own childhood. Uh, and it's just such a great song. Um, there are a lot of great songs in that show. Um, and there are a lot of bad ones, too. But, uh, but you, didn't, you didn't see all the songs from the show last night. You saw a modified new version that was elongated with extra musical numbers. And uh, it, it, too much Walken. Too much dancing and singing with Christopher Walken. Now, Walken played the part as a kind of a, how can we call it, a a puff? What, what, what's the kind of word I'm looking for here? Puff? Uh, uh, I don't know. A pansy. Okay. Uh, put it that way. Uh, but what he was trying to do was emulate Cyril Richard, who also played it very gay very kind of feminine, effeminate. But Cyril Richard, when he did it for Mary Martin, was amazing. I mean, he was funny, and he the character was this foppish, silly little man. The trouble with Walken is he played him foppishly, but too heavy. So that, uh, it I don't know, it just, it just it, it didn't work. It did not work. Walken was so it was such a miscasting that I, uh, quite frankly, to be honest with you, uh, could not believe um, how um, um, how bad he was last night. Uh, again, she was okay, you know, but that isn't what you want to say about a production like this. You don't want to say it was okay. Yeah, she can sing a little. She she kept getting into these stances all the time, her Peter Pan stance, and there was too much of that. You know, it was almost like she knew she was doing a, a musical and she had to get into certain positions to play the part. But it just, it just, I don't know, it just fell flat on every level. I think the worst thing you can say about anything is that it's boring. And this Peter Pan last night was dreadfully, dreadfully boring. Well, we still don't have any calls yet. You know, yesterday we had a lot of calls. We had a great daytime show. Just a great one. Uh, and uh, uh, it was terrific. And uh, we had a lot of people call in. And we had a lot of people listening. And now we have not as many people listening and nobody calling. You know, so the thing I hate, love and hate about this show is that when we do get an audience and we do get callers, it's really, I love doing this show. I love it almost better than doing the nighttime show. And when it's like this and nobody's calling and the uh, uh, the audience levels are lower, 
for whatever reason, I don't know, maybe you're out protesting something, I don't know. And if you're doing that, fine, I'm happy to see you not be here. But it, it just, uh, 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 you know, gets, it, it, it makes me wonder, should I keep doing this during the day? I mean, you know, I don't have to. It, it uh, takes a nice little chunk out of my day in the middle of the day when I could be doing something else like, uh, you know, watching all my old, all my television shows from the night before or whatever. Um, but I come in here and we do this thing and I keep saying, we're only going to do it as long as it works. And if it doesn't work, then I'm not, you know, going to, going to do it any longer. Um, so this might not be here Monday. That's why I haven't made a little tile for it on the on the website and put it up there because I quite frankly don't know the future of this show or whether there's a value in it. Uh, somebody is calling and it's Dale who hello Dale. How are you? Did you feel sorry for me? Was that what it was? Huh? Don't kill the show. <laughs> don't kill the show. Well, yeah. you know, I mean, it's just a matter of it's a, it's an experiment, you know? And, mm-hmm. and and quite frankly, to tell you the truth, I think the show would work better if we did it at like 11 o'clock in the morning. Uh, yeah, because, that might be a little hard on you, right? Well, we used to do the show at, at first I did it at 10, then Albert wanted to go to 10, and I took the 11 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got some very good numbers, and, all, and uh, not as many callers. It's funny, daytime, not as many callers, nighttime, more callers, uh, but less audience. Uh, but anyway, so I thought I'd try 1 o'clock because to try 11 o'clock, you know, when I go to sleep, like last night, I didn't get sleep till 3.30. And then I had to get up this, I got up this morning at 9.30. So, you know, six hours of sleep and I've got business to do later today as well. So it, it, it's, not, I, it's not the kind of thing I could do at 11 o'clock. Okay. Yeah. So that's I think why this we... time is pretty good. I was trying to encourage some of my friends in uh, Europe and England to call in, but you're right. You invite, invite, and you know, lead them to Gabnet, and it, for some reason, it just takes a couple months for people yeah. to uh, pick up on it. Well, last night on the Ramble, we had like a full house. We 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 were all full up, you know, which was mm-hmm. which was cool. And Miranda had a great show with lots of numbers too. Yeah, yeah, she had a lot of people calling, and and uh, as well she should. I mean, uh, especially her show <laughs> on uh, on Tuesday was a killer show. Just one yeah, thing. I'm a bit of a voyeur in that, in that I don't really follow all the movies and comic books and books that they uh, reference, but I appreciate their passion for it all. Well, I mean, that 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 that, that is a show more than uh, any show I've ever heard that's about passion. Because, uh, and, and um, um, while I disagree with Miranda on several things, our current disagreement is about interstellar. Um mm-hmm. Because I think it sucks, and she thinks it's good, and I don't—I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll have to go back and look at it when it hits DVD or something. <laughs> maybe like that. you both need to go back and watch it. And well, she needs to look for I'll what might suck about it, and you need to look for what might be good. Well, about it. actually, she's actually more forgiving about films than I am. You know, uh, and I don't know if that's if that's her uh, her youth or whatever. And then I'm just a cur- old curmudgeon now, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, I just find that if I'm going to sit down and watch a movie for, in this case, almost uh, two hours and 50 minutes, it better be damn good. 
And the second half of that film was an ass killer. Thank God I was in the comfy chair theater where they have the <laughs> reclining barca loungers because it wasn't as as bad as it could have been. Okay. Yeah. Did you nod off during Peter Pan? Well, I had to do a show last night, so I was only able to watch about an hour and a half of it, and then I watched the rest of it today or skimmed through the rest of it because it was so boring. Uh, that that it was very hard. And it was very hard to make uh, sense of the of the storyline. It 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 meandered all over the place because they were trying to take a a, a play and a, a a TV show that was an hour and forty minutes long and stretch it, you know, or, or two two hours with commercials and try and stretch it out to three hours. That's why it was dull. If they had done it, said we're going to do a tight two-hour show here, they might have been able to do a pretty good little job of it. Yeah, I appreciate all the commentary and all the media that's going on in the world. But how about Christopher Walken? How did he do it for you? Terrible, just oh embarrassing, oh just embarrassing. Uh, just huh. and that—that's not just me. Everybody says he was just terrible. It would have been improved if in the middle of it he would have said, more cowbell. More cowbell. <laughs> yes, right. Hey, Mark Thorner's just joined us. Hi, Mark. Hey, Alex. I want to tell you, um, I didn't watch Peter Pan. I have no intention of watching the new one. Uh, but, which, yeah. Um, I don't know if you're Facebook friends with Ira Galen. Mm-mm. I am, yeah. I like that guy. Hey. Ira used to have a great cable show, Biograph Days, Biograph Oh, yeah, 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 I remember. Ira Gallon. Gallon, Gallon. He's been publishing on his Facebook links to YouTube to some Peter Pans that I never even knew existed. There was one with Danny Kaye and Mia Farrow that was done in 76. Yes, absolutely. I'd love to see that. I'm like, but someone's been posting these things whole. And I'm like, I think they hired Mia Farrow at that time for the, for to play Peter Pan because they didn't have to give her a haircut, yeah, right, <laughs> you know, to play the part. But, but I, I just had to watch the first like ten minutes and go, this is strange. <laughs> Especially after hearing just everyone what everyone was talking about last night about it, it's like, no, I don't think I'm gonna. I think I'll skip this one. Well, did you see her for a few a few minutes? No. I, I, you know what? I'm not even going to bother. Not, oh, not even going to bother. Okay. I'm not going to bother, Alex. I'm sorry. You well, know, there's some, some things it's like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Why are, yeah. <laughs> why are we doing <laughs> this? And again, all I can think of was that great SCT bit with John Candy as Divine and Peter Pan. <laughs> with, with David Steinberg as Captain Hook, one of the greatest bits SCTV ever did. Well, this was kind of that that thing. I mean, you know, Allison Williams uh, is a very pretty uh, lady uh, who is a, a fairly uh, serviceable actress and has a fairly uh, usable voice, okay, when she sings. But none of them are good enough to take on this task, you know, uh, it takes a little more, you know, and I I imagine we're living in a day and age where you just wouldn't get a 40-year-old woman to play Peter Pan. Exactly. What was the movie? There was a recent movie version that was act, made in England that was actually really good. That really, really, I was like, wow, this is one of the better versions I saw, you know. Of Peter this Pan. Only- oh, they made that. Yeah, that was the actual, there was a Peter Pan movie, and it was, it was... Wait, hold on a second. Let me try and look at it. No. 
I'm trying to. Uh, I'll look and see who directed it. Um, but you know which version we did not talk about, Alex. What? And again, it's our favorite director. We love to talk about. Yeah. Look. I I hated that film. Do Do you know? Well, wait. Well, hold on a second. P.J. Hogan was the director of this. That's the one. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah, and it starred uh, who was in it. Uh, Mr. Darling, uh, Captain Hook, because traditionally, now that's where they broke with tradition last night. Traditionally, Captain Hook, the guy who plays Captain Hook also plays M- uh, Mr. Darling. That's right. Instead, the guy that played Smee last night was Mr. Darling, not Christopher Walken. I, don't a- a- ask me why. Uh Jeremy Simpler as uh, Peter Pan. Never heard of her. Rachel Heard Wood as Wendy. Lynn Redgrave as Aunt Millicent. Uh, so anyway, it's a uh, it, it 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 was much it was much darker Peter Pan if I remember the few moments I've seen of it. Yeah. Uh, but Hook, you wanted to talk about Hook because Hook again. This is the bad Spielberg. Okay. Yet in within that movie there were some gems. I was like, it's not fair, you know. The idea of uh, Tinkerbell getting so pissed off, she used her one wish, and I'm like, brilliant. Or when Captain Hook loses his wig, yeah. Please give me back my dignity. And it was like, you have these little gems, little moments, yeah, yeah. And it's like, what? It's the most schizophrenic film. It doesn't know to take itself seriously or an out-and-out parody. Well, I mean, the whole the, idea part, with part, playing part, baseball, I thought, yeah. was brilliant. Yeah. I thought that was hysterical because that's exactly how they'd act. You, uh, know? you know what I think was wrong with that picture? Uh, uh, mostly Robin Williams. Uh, you know, it, the <laughs> yeah. trouble with Robin Williams was is that a director would get Robin Williams and think he was such a genius that they didn't have to direct him. And if anybody needed to be directed more, it was Robin Williams to keep his performance focused. And that's, and that's I, why he was point. so good. In Awakenings and um, oh god, uh, Fisher King. Yeah, he had good, strong directors who would reel him in. Yeah, and wouldn't sit there and be just awed by the fact that they were working with the great Robin Williams. Yeah, uh, uh, and Spielberg. You know, Spielberg is a. Uh, He's a carpenter. You, you ask him to make a movie, and he will make a movie, and he will make a good-looking film, okay, every time. Brilliantly edited, sound terrific, color, you know, grading uh, perfect, all of that. But you know there's be an interesting but, challenge lacking, just to see? But, I would love to do this. Stephen, here's $3 million. This is all you get. Make a movie. Yeah. Let's see, let's see if he can still well, pull, you know, the do another duel. With Spielberg is he's never had soul. He, I think he did once upon a time. Really when? You know, early on there was that time he was doing a lot of TV movies. He was one of the original uh d- group of directors that did Night Gallery. Mhm. I think and he only he did he only did, did one episode of Night Gallery, the one with uh Joan Crawford, I think. Yep, but he did some others afterwards that mm-hmm. were very good. Other episodes. That period when he was just happy to be working, he did Duel with uh, Dennis Weaver, which is one of the great, great car chase movies, you know, truck chase. And you could tell. That's why when Jaws came out, 
he deserved every damn penny for that summer when it came out. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was like, you know, but but that's what he see. That's what he did well. He did all the stuff you're talking about. Basically, was action. Yeah, you know, and, was, I, and, it, I, and I'm a big and, fan. And, actually, in 1941. Yeah. Oh yeah, I love that film. But the thing is, basically, he was he he was and still remains the best action director ever. I mean, the guy just did a beautiful job of cobbling together an action film. But it's when he tried to get smarmy like. Schindler's List, which I hate. But I told you, you the know. story some time ago behind that. That was supposed to be Billy Wilder's. He was working with Spielberg on that. Yeah. And by the time... That, that was like a long period project of Billy Wilder's. Mm-hmm. And when it came time to do it, Billy realized he was too old. And he said, Stephen, you do it. You know, and I think if Billy maybe was a little younger or... Mm-hmm. You know, felt hey, I can still do this, even though I'm eighty something. Yeah, it would have been a Billy Wilder film. It would have been the the capstone to a brilliant career. Yeah, yeah. In Spielberg's hands, I thought for Spielberg it was exceptional. I was like, you know, well, I, I, I was especially again. It's a point of view thing, Alex. There are parts of that movie again done so brilliantly it was just wow you know yeah this is a man who has learned about cinema oh no this guy this this guy knows how to make a movie you know the only thing is he he, hello miranda hello she's at home today i guess yeah what the hell Uh, well Uh, no i had a really bad headache when i woke up and and then there was someone with the leaf blower with the back to the window pumping gasoline. Oh, God. Oh, I can't stand those things. Oh, man. Yeah, not just the noise, but they were pumping the gasoline fumes into the apartment. And, and yeah, I just feel like hell today. No, I'm sorry. I feel so yeah. bad for you. It, it'll pass. I know but, it'll pass. Uh, but no, we, we were talking about Spielberg. I was going to say that, um, uh, y- you know, um, um, I didn't like Schindler's List because I felt that that again, he didn't have the, the ending. Just really bothered me. That whole speech he gave about if I had only sold this pin and if I had only sold this pen, I could have bought another life. You know, and I'm going, oh my god, this is this is he couldn't just end it with him with the car going off. He had to make this big speech. But anyway. He uh, another project that he took over from somebody was AI, which he I took over. Uh, well, he again, he took it over from Kubrick, who was going to do it, and then Kubrick died. And Kubrick's, I think Kubrick just before he was, was he was uh, his death said, "If I don't live to make this thing, I want you to make it." So he made it, and I I I, I can't I, I can't imagine what Kubrick's vision was of it, but that was Kubrick's script. And yet, somehow, it got lost because it, it, all of a sudden Spielberg wanted to make it his film. Yeah. What did you think of AI? You must have seen it. I've I've seen it, but it, I was never compelled to go back and rewatch it. And at this point, I don't really remember it. It's yeah. utterly forgettable. That's the true test of a movie. If you mm-hmm. want to go back and watch it again, and uh, yeah. you know. Uh, 
I guess Gosford Park is a great movie because my wife has watched it 800 times. I mean, every time I walk into the bedroom, Gosford Park is on. And I'm going, listen, we do have tw- like uh, eight, uh, 20 or some odd episodes of Downton Abbey. It's the same goddamn thing. You know? <laughs> do you have any uh, movies like that, Alex, that you watch over and over and over again? There are movies that if they're on all of a sudden, I will find myself watching them. Um, um, probably my favorite movie to watch over and over and over again is Once Upon a Time in America. Did, are you going to get the uh, the new expanded version? Is of it, it? Wait a minute! Didn't they? It didn't it, the version they released a couple of years ago, three hours and forty five minutes. What? Oh, oh, they got um, they got more footage restored. Really? Yeah. Really. About twenty minutes more, and it's good stuff. Yeah. Well, so, uh, here's like, here's what happened. Did you ever see the edited version? Because no, I skipped it. Oh, I, oh, I, oh, I knew two, you have to do it. You have to do it just to get mad. No, because again, I remember when they were in the city in Brooklyn making it, and I sort of peripherally knew some people who worked on it, and knew from the beginning that there were going to be problems with the distribution in America. Like they were saying, they were saying then overseas is going to get the longer version. We're going to get the edited version. Wait. Well, more than an edited version, they changed the ending. Yeah. You know, um, it is it, just. Uh, it, 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 but I that movie is, I think, one of the just greatest movies ever made. Um, and it 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 on so many levels. I mean, that one photographic shot. Of those kids walking uh, past the Williamsburg Bridge. I know. Isn't that great? One of them actually walking backwards and skipping is one of the greatest, most iconic shots in the history of film. I mean, uh, I, I th- there was a guy that I, that I had to warm up to, and that was Sergio Leone. In the beginning, I just dismissed him as making bad westerns, so I never paid much attention to him. But then one day I saw uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and and I stuck with it, and I said, "This is the greatest director of all time, this guy, because he knows how to work slow. He doesn't rush anything. Guys are walking down a dusty street in a city to have a shootout." They're not walking fat. They're just lumbering. And they're walking past windows. At the t- I mean, the guy was a, a master. And he got better. Every movie yes. he did got better, more elaborate. The one that changed it, I mean, I always liked him, but the one that really, like, oh, my God, this is not what I expected, was uh, A Fistful of Dynamite, Duck You Sucker. But mm-hmm. I like what they called it in France, what it was released as. Once Upon a Time in the Revolution, which is what, that's the way I call the movie. Yeah. And if there's no doubt how much Leone hated, hated, hates fascism in all its colors, especially Nazis, this movie is it. You know, yeah. it's like, wow. But, he, uh, but plus he, you get to yeah. see probably the best performances from Rod Steiger and uh, James Coburn. Yeah, but 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 uh, Once Upon a Time in, in in America is probably the only non-Western he made. Oh, by the way, another great one is Once Upon a Time in America. Yeah. You know, in, in the West, right? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. It's very have you, true. Have you ever seen any of these movies? 
I, I'm telling you, if you want to see, I, 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 in fact, I won't tell you to see a whole movie. You get a copy of Once Upon a Time in the West. You watch the first, I think it's seven minutes of that film. Watch the opening. The opening is a movie in itself. And then you see, and be sure you see it widescreen. You know, you don't want... Uh, one of the reasons I didn't like Leone for years, I never saw them widescreen. They were always cropped. And um, I never saw how he used the full screen. But the opening to that film was what just... When it, when it first came out, any time it came out, they couldn't crop it. They, there was no way to crop it and get the titles in and all of that. So uh, even though these things were panned and scanned, that first opening had the widescreen. And I said... I want to see Leone widescreen. You know, this is this is brilliant, and he was he was really a great director. Uh, and plus, he don't forget one spot time in the West. He actually got to make a movie in the West. Yeah, you know uh, everything else up to that point was Spain and. Uh, you know, Spain. Oh, he did. He made it in the United States. I didn't know that. Oh come on, Ford country. Uh, you can't fake that. Yeah, he got to do the exteriors out west, oh, and that's okay. where. Um, but he did the interiors in in in, in, in Italy. But I think that's yeah. where he got to meet John Ford finally. Yeah. You know, Ford was still alive back then, yeah. um, so that was a big deal for Sergio Leone to yeah. uh, get to America to make a western in America. Well, let me ask Miranda this: What movies are you waiting for this uh, holiday season? Uh, waiting for in terms of going to the theaters, yeah, purchasing the, the, on. Yeah. Um, at the moment, nothing in particular. Yeah. Uh, uh, wait a minute. We're getting a questioning look from Mark. Mark, what were you going to say? The Last Hobbit? No. Five Armies? I'll go see it, but I'm not waiting. Actually, the Hobbit movies have gotten better with each successive film. Yeah, and, and it's like, oh, yeah, God, great. Because now it's like, oh, we got to wait until spring now for the next wave of Marvel? Oh, come on. Oh, 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 there's a Hobbit movie, you know? Yeah. So I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, and I'm sure I'm, I'll enjoy it. I'm just not excited by this series. Uh, I, I kind of think of it as uh, uh, Sherlock Light because Benedict Cumberpatch <laughs> and what's-his-name are in it together. It's just one's a dragon and the other is you know, a, hobbit. Yeah. a hobbit. So I mean, uh, but uh, they, they I just they, don't like the things that they've done with the that that he's done with the story. I uh, the the second one, the Desolation of Smog. I I I that's another kind of forgettable one. Well, what what what, what you have to say about the the Hobbit films uh, is that he took a 168-page book or something and has turned it into three movies. So really, this should be titled Peter Jackson's The Hobbit because yeah. it's, it's yeah. it, you know, he's he's putting plot lines and everything in there that weren't in the book. The book was a very simple book. And the only thing it did was it got, it kind of got Tolkien going so he could uh, create this, uh, this other world and then the Lord of the Rings came in, didn't it? Hobbit was first, right? Yeah. 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 And I think, I don't, I remember reading this. Yeah, there we go. Uh, How many pages? How many pages is that? In, in my copy, yeah. um, there's 287. But oh, really? This yeah. is a large print for kids. This is a pretty old one. Oh, I was going to okay. say, I think, check the copyright on that. 
The copyright? It is... Oh, come on. Where is it? Where is it? It's in here somewhere. Uh, 1966. That is an early edition. And, okay, this is, I'm seeing 66th printing, November 1977. This was handed down to, this is one of the first books my brother ever gave me. Ah. That's like that's like the version I read in high school, I think. <laughs> Did that start you out loving fantasy? Uh, no. No, 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 no. Um, what was everything your f- is directly related to Star Wars. For me, because really? it's sci-fi and fantasy at the same time, kind of. Um, yeah, or at least in my mind. Yeah, and then the real, uh, the real book that kicked off my imagination as a kid um, that I also keep very, very handy is uh, the Phantom Tollbooth. Oh, that was yeah. oh, just wow. yeah. That is one of my favorite books of all time. Chuck Jones made that into a cartoon. Oh, and I loved it. Yeah. I absolutely loved the cartoon. Uh, Dale, you've been quiet. What 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 uh, what what influenced you when you were younger? What was the, what was the thing that kicked off your tastes? Oh, that's a good question. Probably the Hobbit stuff too. I had three older brothers, and uh, I was growing up in Seattle. Yeah. And I I think when I was two and three years old, I was listening to rock and roll the sonics jimmy hendrix and all that and it wasn't really until the 70s and you know jaws and star wars that i sort of got my sci-fi thing on and fantasy movie loving uh, so i'm very much more in uh, miranda's area with with that part of my development but early on it was just uh rock and roll <laughs> i think i think the thing that started me off on science fiction uh, oddly enough uh, were two films uh one very bad and one very instructional uh that came out in the 50s when i was growing up uh because up until then they there hadn't been much science fiction uh fritz lang had done uh, woman in the moon i think and that was about a trip to to the moon or something i'm trying to remember the plot now um uh, the Ametropolis. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in the 50s, they started making some science fiction movies. And um, the one that influenced me the most, the first, was, was Destination Moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, very simple picture, you know, very simple plot. Guys get in a rocket ship, go to the moon, have trouble coming back, you know. Uh, but for some reason, that really grabbed me. And then there was another picture about the same time called Rocket Ship XM. With Lippard Lloyd, films, yeah. With Lloyd, Lippard films, right? Very Lippard. good. Yeah, with, with uh, Lloyd Bridges. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rocco Dreff did the, um, the soundtrack. Una that was, Ma- that Una was rushed Ma- out to be to beat Destination Moon. The what? That was rushed out by Lippard. Yeah. He cashed in. Oh, to beat, yeah. It did yeah. come out before Destination Moon. Yeah. And, and when they but, went to Mars, uh, all of a sudden they dyed it red. <laughs> they dried, dyed the... Uh, but, but I love the idea that, oh, crap, we have the wrong mixture. We over-accelerated. We're going to Mars instead. It's like, wow, there's a one-way you know, <laughs> mission. <laughs> You're not going to come back. But, well, you know what I always remember about that picture? And, I, it, and this, this statement in a film has always resonated in my brain for years every time... I had some kind of something I did that failed. 
And as they're they they when they come back from Mars, uh, they don't have enough fuel, and the rocket is crashing. And Lloyd Bridges is hugging Ona Mawson, I think was her name at the time, and and they're and they're hugging as you see the Earth coming up below them, and then it goes to the the control room, right? And um, and and the, he says, uh, "Well, I, that was a failure. Well, it may have been a failure, but tomorrow." We work on XM2. And I always kind of remembered that line because every time I ever had anything that failed, I'd always say to myself kind of quietly, well, tomorrow we work on XM2. You know, we take whatever failed and make it work the next time. Yeah, you developed a personal meme way back then. Yeah. So, yeah, and I was like... And went on to work at Sirius XM. (laughs) I didn't stop to think about that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, as they fired me, I, my brain, I was thinking, well, tomorrow we do the Alex Bennett program. Reboot, too. reboot, reboot. <laughs> yeah, reboot, reboot. Um, uh, it's amazing how when you're younger, these things do, do kind of form who you are. You know, I wonder, And I wonder when I see what kids are looking at today, if any of this is going to be that much of a formative experience for them. I mean, what is there out there today that you would like, if you had a kid, you would like to have that kid see to kind of set him in the right direction? Uh, that quieted us all down. That I don't know. That, 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 that's, that's, that's a that's, great that, question. That's, that's good. Ooh. We have to get back to you on that next week. <laughs> see, here's my problem. Mm-hmm. You asked that question, and that's dangerously close to what I want to do on the exchange tonight. Oh, you're going to do the exchange tonight? I'm going to do the exchange tonight. You're not going to do the late show, though. I'm going to do the late show. Oh, you are? Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> Where'd he go, Miranda? Yeah. Uh, 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 so, you really were going to ask that kind of question? Or uh, something close to well, it? No, my an- it's, it's what my answer would be. Um, it, it's all tied into today's date as well. Um, so I, I'll go ahead and say it here anyway, but, uh, I, I grew up on Disney. Okay. I, I would, I, I would point yeah. them to pretty much anything Disney. It served, it, you know, it served me well. Um, you know, I, I had certain problems with Disney as a experience for kids, because I think there were subtle messages in there, and now I'm going to sound like I'm a nutcase. Which kid. is what the topic on the exchange is pretty much going to be. <laughs> yeah. No, but I always felt that Disney, to begin with, always was too goody-goody, uh, was too, you know, don't, don't, don't make waves, don't make trouble. That's why I like Warner Brothers cartoons. That's why they were my favorites, because Bugs Bunny didn't take shit from anybody, you know? And so my my entire funny is one of my favorite my my entire well my entire political bent I think was formed by Bugs Bunny. You've got Uh, a book there, Alex. Write that. No, but you know what's funny? I figured here's here's the what if I go out and I find a bunch of radicals, radical leftists, and I ask them the question, "What cartoons did you watch growing up?" They wouldn't say Mickey Mouse. All right. And so my friend Abby Hoffman, I one day put the question to him, when you were a kid, what cartoons did you love? And he said, Mickey Mouse. 
So yeah. I guess I was wrong. You know, but I would Uh-oh. think that you're 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 political. You know, because Bugs Bunny, just you know, he was the uh, he you he you were okay with Bugs Bunny until you crossed his path, and then you had hell to pay. You know, um, the the lessons to be learned from the Coyote and the Road Runner are are quite extensive. You know, um, so I um, that I didn't like Disney because it was too goody goody. I also didn't like it. Because I felt, for instance, the witch in uh, in Snow White looked Jewish, oh, had a big nose, yeah. and looked you know it was almost an anti-Semitic tome. I felt. Now uh, I may be nuts. Okay, some people said maybe you're oversensitive about it, and I've never been oversensitive about being Jewish. But when I see this big honker on the witch, I'm going. You know, that's the way Hitler, that's the way Goebbels, if he wanted to draw a cartoon of a Jew, would draw a cartoon of a Jew. Tell me I'm nuts. Wow, that is something to think about, man. <laughs> well, I brought everybody. There, well, but there's a <laughs> controversy about Disney being uh, uh, anti-Semite. Um, yeah, that's sorry. true. There are too many people, including... Uh, Animator Lloyd uh, Norman kind of dispel that. Yeah, it's they, like, they say they say he was not. But, uh, no, he was not uh, anti-Semitic. In fact, uh, when it came time to write "Song of the South," he hired a, a, a leftist Jew. Now he didn't like leftists, but they, he he had quite a few Jews working for him. He, he uh, the, the I read a book about him, and they said probably one of the worst myths about Disney is that he was anti-Semitic. Uh, he was an asshole. He was anti-union. He was anti. Uh, you know, why would anybody want to start a union? I treat them so well. Um, I was involved with. Uh, I knew a woman named Karen Babbitt, whose father was Art Babbitt, Art Babbitt. and um, Art Babbitt was one of the old men of, over at Disney who got thrown out of Disney by Disney when he tried to start a strike against Disney so they could get more money for the workers there. Mm-hmm. So. What is that noise in the background? Somebody's watching television or something. Oh, Dale's at his uh, coffee shop. Or oh, is that what might be the barista lady, oh, oh. Uh, Grannies and Beans. Oh, I see. Okay. I'm trying to stay here in the far corner, but well, that's on. okay. That's okay. But, um, um, uh, you know, I mean, he was very much anti-union. He, in fact, uh, said that the union was run by communists and that they were trying to put him out of business. Because he was so all-American. He went before the House on american Activities Committee with that little piece of news. Okay, that brings up, an, that brings up a personal story for me. Yeah. Want to know why I left working at Disney? Um, let me see here. They wanted you to be Daffy Duck? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, um, but there, there was an incident at work, and I ended up... Uh, uh, writing someone up because I was I was the lead and nothing was getting done so I went to the union that I had to be part of yeah and the union president was caught embezzling everything at the union stopped and ultimately I ended up just quitting because it was easier <laughs> oh, and yeah so Disney anti-union um yeah I'm 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 kind I'm kind of with the uh the old boss on that one. What union uh, took care of the workers at Disneyland? Oh, there were there were multiple ones, but also another uh, strange connection. Um, the building that the union was uh, based out of 
uh, was demolished a couple of years ago and some apartments were built on top of that site. Mm-hmm. And I currently live in those apartments. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, oh, boy. Yeah. But, but so, I mean, because I, I can't imagine, uh, probably the Teamsters were in there on some Well, no, each, each um, the foods division had their union. Okay, um, restaurant union. You know, yeah. each, each different department had their own unions. Yeah. But uh, weren't you all called, uh, weren't you all called uh, actors? Cast members. Uh, cast members, yeah. Yep. Everybody who worked Disneyland was a cast member. Yeah, um, and back when I worked there, it was before uh, males were allowed to have facial hair. And uh, there were, there were uh, it was called the Disney look. Now, I'm sure that they still have some, some part of it. But, well, the facial uh, hair thing became a big deal at Disneyland in, uh, in France. And that's why Disneyland France had a hard time get making it because was, they got bad publicity. That was publicity. the first thing that 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 was the the first thing to start chipping away at it and then also uh back uh it started in 2000 when they were hiring but in 2001 when Disney's California Adventures uh first opened. Yeah. Uh just to hire all of the people that they needed to hire for that, they relaxed uh, uh, the rules and and allowed men to have uh, uh, a mustache, but it had to be uh, trimmed. And I believe that's when they started allowing nail polish as well. Oh, really? But in foods, we couldn't wear nail polish at all because while well, we were working with food. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean that that uh, I guess that was a health concern, right? Of course, uh, all this all this is post Disney. I might add, it's you not. Know. It it's really not that much of a health concern. Yeah. It's the appearance of a health concern. Yeah, but I mean, this is all post Disney. I mean, Disney was way dead by this time. Oh yeah, Di- yeah. Uh, Disney, in fact, uh, when did he die? Uh, I'm trying to remember now. 68 or 60, 68 or something s- like that. Yeah. For some reason, 66 or 68. He never saw, he never saw the opening of, uh, December Dis- 15th, 1966. He never saw the opening of Disney, uh, land in, uh, in, in Florida. Yeah. Or the jungle book. That was the last movie he was working. On. Yeah. But he never, he never saw, uh, and actually, did you ever see what Epcot was supposed to be? You, you could, you were supposed to be able to live in Epcot. That was the whole idea. The environment uh, prototype of uh, City of Tomorrow, or something like that, is what it stood for. And uh, uh, yeah, we had, we had one of those on the drawing boards out here in Colorado too. Oh, really? Live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they had the streets laid out and everything, and then all of a sudden one day they decided, ah, let's just make it another theme park. And uh, when Disney, by the died, way, that's what they used for Argo. They used those plans in that movie. It, it, it was a serious theme park in Denver and they used that as their fake when they went to Iran. That was part of Argo's movie. Oh my god, that was all based, that was Jack Kirby's designs for, um, based on Roger Zelazny's Lords of Light. I remember that. Wait, remember wait, wait, where in Argo was, 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 what was uh, uh, this city? The, you take it, Mark. Um, the designs, I'm not kidding, someone wanted to front the money Yeah. the theme park based on Roger Zelazny's Lords of Light. And Kirby, oh my God! Imagine, 
Disneyland designed by Jack Kirby. Yeah, okay. Well, it was legit, it was legit because they had the land oh. secured over here in Colorado. Yeah. Well, <laughs> aren't we kind of getting that with uh, tomorrow? Well, no, Tomorrowland's going Star Wars. So that's no, right. they, they, I'll they, tell you what they, they did do though. They they did start a community. Disney did start a community called uh, not Bonanza. Oh, uh, 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 celebration. And and you could buy a house in celebration, but there's so many rules about living in celebration that it's like living with the Stepford wives. So no, a lot of people didn't even move there. But uh, Epcot, they turned into it when Disney died. Uh, his dream went died with him, and uh, they turned Epcot into. I thought I think one of their best theme parks. I love that you go from country to country to country. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I looked it up. It's experimental prototype community of tomorrow. Yeah. And uh, they had all the plans drawn up with the streets and how everything was going to be. And what they did with Celebration is they did a lot of those things. I mean, every home has it has has Wi-Fi and everything. I mean, it was it's. Uh, yeah, you should well, look Ale- into Alex, it. Alex, you're going to have to come up with Gabnetropolis. Gabnetropolis, yeah, right, <laughs> absolutely. Well, listen, hey, that that's about it. We've uh, we've uh, maxed out. Hey, you know, this turned into a great show. You know, just when I think it's going to be a crappy day, it turns out to be a great show. And I, thank you, Dale, for being here. And, of course, Mark and uh, Miranda. Uh, we, we got, I'm sorry if we got our geek on and I stole your uh, your bit, uh, Miranda. No, that's all right. Uh, there's, there's plenty more to do on the but, exchange. But you're not the only geek around here. You know? <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Anyway, hey, thanks to all, to all of you. See you later. And thank you for tonight, by the way, Miranda. Okay. And Miranda will be here tonight uh, hosting uh, The Exchange and then hosting uh, Revelstoke Jim's uh, Canadian content. You know why? Because she's a good person. Uh, I'm Alex Bennett. That's it. We'll see you tonight at... Uh, wait, what do you want to say? You want to say something? No. You know why? Because we love you. Oh, I see. Okay. Tell them we love him. <laughs> anyway, we'll see you all again uh, on Monday. Uh, here with the daytime program and tonight at 10 o'clock with the ramble in the meantime if you see her yeah you know what to do tell her i love her